0: Welcome to the latest episode of the Jaguar Report Podcast. I am your host, John Shipley, joined by my co-host, Gus Logue. Gus, how are you doing today, man?
1: I'm good, John. Just counting down the days until Thanksgiving. How are you doing, buddy?
0: Yeah, basically same here. You know, it's going to be a little different this year, but I, it's still my favorite holiday, so I'm looking forward to it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, that put us in an, even a better mood or we got to watch an entertaining football game on Sunday, you know. Uh, I'll, I'll, obviously, you know, I'm not sure about you, but me – You know, I try to be. I'm an objective reporter. I truly don't care what happens result-wise. Like, I'm gonna write the same, but I just want to be entertained when I have to watch a football game. So these last three weeks and Sunday especially, I I actually enjoyed watching the Jaguars play football, and that's all I ask for every Sunday.
1: Hundred percent. Yeah, I agree. It was just kind of a perfect storm of just how the Jaguars can lose every week, but at least it's kind of close. And the best part of this past game was when uh, Jake Luton on the like third and whatever it was on like the last drive of the game kind of like tumbled over as he was trying to escape the pocket. That was kind of the perfect climax. Uh,
0: okay. Well, like we'll obviously get him all the game, but you, <laughs> you, you mentioned it. So I just want to, I, I want to start there. Those sacks at the end of the game, when I watched them live and then when I watched them again on the all 22, how much of that do you think was on the offensive line? Because I think on at least one, Juwan Taylor got bull rushed a decent bit, but it just looked like against pressure that his eyes were dropping and he didn't know what to do do with the ball. That's at least how it looked to me. What about you?
1: Yeah, I think he just got kind of like flustered throughout the game because his pocket presence, honestly, like I said last week, was a little impressive to me in the first game. And in the first yeah. half, I thought he did like a kind of a good job kind of stepping up in the pocket. And so I think at a certain point the pressure just kind of got to him. And he kind of just didn't really know what to do about it. And so, he tried pulling a Minshew a couple of times and just kind of put his eyes down and ran to open areas. But, yeah, it's kind of tough. Juwan Taylor allowed seven pressures, which was the second most of any offensive tackle in a single game this season. So, it was, it was a long day for the What: well, Was the first most Juwan against J.J. Watt, like in week five? <laughs> no, it was actually um, – I was actually he, curious. Um, I wasn't joking. <laughs> I was curious. No, it was Andrew Thomas in week five. I I don't know who the Giants were playing that week, but I know first was Andrew Thomas' was nine pressures, and then uh Jawan Taylor allowed seven last week. Good
0: friend of the show, a good friend of mine, uh, Arif Hassan with The Athletic, he had an amazing tweet about Andrew Thomas a few weeks ago. It was like, the Giants went all in on an offensive tackle who was purely tools with Eric Flowers, and he was the worst tackle in the league. They did the exact opposite with Andrew Thomas, and now he's the worst tackle in the league. Uh, it, it's it's just funny, man, to see uh, how... I, I really think the Jaguars would have... I, actually, I, I'm not going to say I think... I know the Jaguars would have considered Andrew Thomas on number nine because uh, I believe it was Dave Caldwell uh, after the first round of the draft. Uh, Got asked ask the question if they considered any offensive tackles at nine because Worse and Becton and Wills were still on the board. And he said the only guy they would have considered was already taken. So, Bullet, Bullet maybe potentially dodged there. But, uh, I mean, well, for- I, I was a Tristan Worse fan. So, I'll go ahead and take the early W on that. But, uh, uh, Gus, um, obviously, you know, Jaguars, they played a close game uh, at Lambeau in Green Bay. It lost 24-20. They are now 1-8. Give give me your overall takeaway from the game, and I'll, I'll give you mine first. My overall takeaway was the Jaguars. They're they're of course going to play hard every game, and you got you got the sense after the game that the fan base they kind of loved that game because it was a good game, but they also lost, so they didn't hurt their draft positioning. My overall takeaway is that the Jaguars cannot let these close games be like okay, we're almost there, so let's not make any changes, you know. My takeaway is, hey, they're playing tough, but you still have to make changes to get over the hump because close losses in the NFL, I mean, they don't mean anything. You know, you get you get nothing for it. So that, that was my
1: takeaway, that close loss might as well be a blowout. Yeah, definitely. At a certain point, like, losing close kind of regresses to the mean, and teams will typically kind of have a 500 record in close games that are, like, less than a touchdown score differential. But at the same time, there's definitely some teams in the league that have way higher winning percentages and or way lower winning percentages in close games. And so it's kind of easy to see why sometimes. But it's easy, It's also easy to kind of get encouraged um, by the Jaguars' performance because even though they are losing, at least it's close. It's not like it's a, a matching team, like it's a Big Ten team or anything. <laughs> and so it is, it's easy to get encouraged. But at the same time, like we talked about – a couple of weeks ago, about how maybe we should have seen the Indianapolis game coming in terms of like whether that game really should have been a win or expectations after that game. And I feel kind of similar about that game that I do the Green Bay game, just because um, the Jaguars like won the turnover battle. They had a punt return for a touchdown and they just like weren't really doing much on offense at all except for like relying on a few nice James Robinson plays. And so I think. And I think weather had a really big impact. That was almost my biggest takeaway. It yeah. was just like we when we were previewing the game, I think the prediction was that there was going to be 25-mile-per-hour winds. And I don't know exactly how gusty it was, actually. I think it was like above 30. Impact. And so I think if that if that game's played over again in like a neutral site with fair weather, I'm not sure how close it is, honestly. I think the weather really helped out Jacksonville.
0: Yeah. No, I, I, I would agree with that. I think – I think you could tell that the weather was impacting the game uh, with both quarterbacks. I mean, it, you know, obviously Aaron Rodgers finished with a great stat line, you know, it was like 300 yards. Uh, I think he completed 75% of his passes, two touchdowns, but on some of his throws, you could tell the the win impacted them. I mean, the first third down of the game, he kind of sailed the pass to and open Robert Canyon. I think that was a good like sign of the weather. And then Jake Luton, uh, it was really obvious to me uh, with him, you know, uh, I think one of the biggest plays of the game that kind of has been glossed over and people haven't really talked about, uh, I believe it was in the second quarter, DJ Chark just beat the quarter's coverage down the field with ease. And he was wide open with a touchdown. You know, uh, the, the Darnell Savage was like five yards away from him and Luden, at least in my opinion, a neutral site. Luton probably makes that throw for a touchdown, but that ball just kind of died in the air. And I think it was because they were trying to push the ball downfield in the wind. And uh, it shows when you look at the, you know, the kind of passing charts after the game, the Jaguars only had one passing play of over 20 yards. And I want to say a couple of those yards came on a uh, yards after catch, so I, I'm not sure if they had a, a pass that traveled over 20 yards in the air and got completed
1: on Sunday. So I, I think the wind was definitely a
0: factor. They had two. Oh, there you they,
1: go. The, the one one to Chark was one of them, and then there was one to Terry Godwin in the seam. I don't know if you remember that one. I think it was in the third quarter where Godwin was actually open, but like Luton kind of had to squeeze into a pretty tight window and uh, he just missed it.
0: Okay, so you mean they attempted to yeah but they okay, okay, two now, okay, I got you yeah, yeah okay, I remember the Godwin one out that Godwin was on the field for two snaps, and he saw two targets, so he he uh, he that's a sustainable one hundred percent target share and he's on the field. So, go <laughs> ahead, go cool. ahead. yeah, when I was looking at the snap counts i- saw, i I saw that I was like I could have sworn he was on the field more, and like somebody I know somebody posed a question like why are we throwing to him instead of Colin Johnson. Colin Johnson played like 10 more snaps. Godwin just saw the ball every time yeah. he was out there. Um, but, no, I, I, I'm with you on the weather. I, I Gus, I'd say I, this is probably my next biggest takeaway, and I know we're already going to go over this, so we can just jump to it now. I think that game put the bed, and I know you have to consider the win, and it's his first road start. I understand all of this, but I think the Jaguars win that game with a – quarterback who's like maybe top 20 top 22 in the league you know with an average quarterback i think the jaguars win that game i think that game needs to put the rest the idea of the idea that anybody had you know i already thought it was a bit foolish but the idea of anybody had of you know let's wait and see on the quarterback situation i think the book needs to be closed and i think it needs to be a foregone conclusion that they need to upgrade quarterback i don't know if they will but i think it's now obvious that they can't ignore it if they want to build a good team for next
1: season yeah 100% agree I think it was kind of already a foregone conclusion for a lot of people but like the more games the Jaguars play the bigger a conclusion that it is and I honestly thought that Loon made like some good decision making but he was just super inaccurate and so when I'm sure had something to do with it but he just couldn't like deliver the ball at any point during the game and, and so
0: he, and he was inaccurate the week before. So that, that that's that's my thing. I'm not even sure how much I want to put it on the win because that was definitely a factor. But my biggest uh when I broke down his first start, my biggest like uh, critique was that he was inaccurate.
1: Right, for sure. And I mean the more games that he plays, like the kind of bigger sample size we'll get and we'll kind of see it how true or it not true it is. But as a six-round rookie, you don't really expect him to be Drew Brees or anything like that. So I definitely agree. It's kind of nice to see, like, what we can get out of him for another six-round rookie quarterback. And at least now we have two competent backups, I guess.
0: Yeah, no, I I was going to say, even if Luden plays, you know, to mediocre, below-average levels the, next, the rest of the season, I mean, I think, I think him just not looking like a complete mitigated disaster is a win for a six-round quarterback. But uh, my expectations for any quarterback after the first couple rounds are, like, bottom bottom like of the barrel so maybe that's just me but I, I agree with you I think that's still a good return on investment um, and I, I think it gives them flexibility moving forward I know we talked the last episode but say they draft a quarterback or assign a free agent quarterback um, you know they'll have three quarterbacks uh, they probably would look to move one of Luden or Minshew and I mean that's if, if you can draft a quarterback in the sixth round and trade him for anything equal or better than a sixth round pick I think that's a big win.
1: For sure. Plus, you get the one-year rental. And so, it'll be yeah. interesting to see for sure whether they kind of, like, try to move on from Minshew, like they had to move on from Blake Bortles or kind of what they do there if they really have a preference.
0: What would What would you do? I, I, I Me, personally, I know maybe it'd be a, big, a bit awkward because, you know, Minshew's the ultimate competitor, and he would obviously want to be the starter. But I would try to keep Minshew as the backup because I truly think him as a backup is probably one of the better backups in the league, if not, the best backup you know just in the hypothetical that he's behind a starting quarterback
1: yeah I agree he's kind of perfect for the backup role honestly just because his conservativeness always kind of put a cap on the potential of the offense and the players around him but as the QB2 instead of the QB1 I mean that's kind of what teams are looking for just someone that they can trust to kind of not lose games if their starting quarterback goes down or something happens
0: yeah I, I was gonna say if your starting quarterback goes down I feel like Gardner, you know, you say you have to play Gardner for three to four weeks. I, th- I think best case scenario for any team when the starting quarterback goes down is let's just try to go five hundred without him, and I think you could do that with Gardner. So I, I- I'd agree with you there. Um, all right, so Gus, did anything about Sunday's game against the Packers surprise you? Did you learn anything new? I I came out surprised with how effective the defense was uh, for the first quarter. Obviously, it didn't last the entire game, but. They were the first team to force uh, uh, the Packers to punt on the first drive all year. So, that, I, I was thoroughly shocked by that because, I mean, they didn't just punt. They went three and out.
1: Right. Yeah, the defense played well, and they played um, with a lot of, like, energy and passion or whatever. And it's definitely impressive. It's, it was kind of funny that when you said Aaron Rodgers' stat line, he was just watching the game both live and then all 22. Like, Rodgers didn't really have that good of a performance. So, the fact that he had three total touchdowns and 300 yards is pretty incredible, to be honest. But That that
0: uh, MVS <laughs> touchdown does a lot of the heavy
1: lifting there. Yeah, that's fair. I was going to say, like, it's you can't really, like, just count out the explosive plays. But other than his three touchdowns, like, he really was not super consistent or productive. And I I feel like it would be fair to say this was his second worst game of the season because he had that game against Tampa Bay in week five or six, I want to say, which was just abysmal. Yeah. Again, this last week, honestly, probably had the least efficient game of the season for him. Yeah, so. no,
0: I I I'd agree with you, and I, I think if you're a young defense playing Rodgers, I think limiting him to everything but a handful of big plays is the best you can ask for. You know, like obviously you don't want to allow any big plays, but it's Aaron Rodgers, and you're your youngest defense in the league, so it's going to happen at some point. So uh, I'm with you. You know, you can't not count the explosive plays, but when you look at it, other than the MBS touchdown, the scramble he had, and the Devontae adams touchdown which by the way they only had 10 defenders on the field for but not 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 that it really it they had 10 defenders on the field and he still threw it one-on-one to Devontae adams and it required <laughs> like a super acrobatic cats <laughs> it made me feel bad for Devontae i'm like i feel like they could have got that touchdown in a much easier fashion but uh i'm, I'm, I'm with you on that uh another i think kind of thing that stood out from that game is the play of the defensive front i think the defensive line has gotten uh, progressively better in the last uh, three weeks or so I think ever since you know they they were they were abysmal against the Detroit Lions up front on defense and on offense but especially on defense I think the last three games have kind of turned that around some Uh, you saw on Sunday Devon Hamilton and Josh Allen both had big performances does that give you any hope for the building of the defensive line moving forward I mean, to, to me, it just looked like Josh Allen was finally healthy and that we get to see the Josh Allen of last year. It looked like he was finally comfortable. And then for Hamilton, it was just a, him stacking up another good performance. So, I mean, you have those two pieces. Does that give you any hope or confidence in the defensive line in the future?
1: Yeah, for the future, for sure. For the present, not really so much. But, I mean, all these guys are so young. When Hamilton's a rookie, uh, Josh Allen's in the second year. Chason is in his first year, and we've always known that he's kind of a raw prospect and was going to need some time. So for the future, definitely. I thought Taven Bryan had quietly a pretty solid game, like on uh, Devon Hamilton's sack, which was the first of his career, I think. Um, they had like a really nice move on the defensive line, and basically Taven Bryan just got a sack assist, which is pretty nice. And so for the future, definitely, I think there's pieces to build around, but. I would say they're they're one edge rusher away from having an above average defensive line, but and we'll kind of see what happens if Chaseon is that guy. Yeah,
0: I'd agree with that. I know I know PFF didn't have Chaseon down for any pressures, but when I went back and watched, he was better against Bacchiari than I thought he would be. I thought Bacchiari would be like I thought it'd be like Tunsil versus Chason where he just got embarrassed. I mean, he he was getting decent push on there, and I think on the play where Allen did the hump move on Billy Turner and just him five yards opposite way if Turner didn't like get thrown in the air and trip up Chase Chason probably gets the pressure there instead of Allen so I, I'd agree with you they're definitely a pass rusher away I thought you know you said last week you thought Chason and Henderson would have big games uh On, I don't think you can say had a big game at all you know he played 30 snaps and didn't have a tackle but I thought he had a better game if that makes sense probably grasping for straws at this point to be optimistic, but I, 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 thought, he had, I, I thought he had a better game. <laughs> but, yeah, that, definitely a better
1: game.
0: Okay, and, and then that kind of brings me to my next point. You know, you, you, you seem like you thought CJ coming into the game would have a big game. Him and Sidney Jones, I, I thought they had a really similar game because they had some really bad lows and then they had some really impressive highs. How do you balance that out at cornerback and is that something that you'd be willing to kind of ride with next year like you know trying to battle that inconsistency because both gave up a big touchdown Uh, Henderson missed a big tackle on third down but both forced a turnover and both had some other big plays.
1: Yeah I think you kind of take you gotta take the inconsistency with a grain of salt as for one reason is that as we've said on the pod like cornerback might be the most volatile position in the game and so it's just such a difficult position to play and being able to play consistently well is just nearly impossible. And so we shouldn't really expect them to play consistently well, honestly, especially considering it's a rookie and a player who was cut before his rookie contract ended. Um, But at the same time, I think if you gave me this performance through the season so far, and like during the summer, this past summer, and said, this is what you're gonna get, then I'd be happy because going into this season, the Jaguars had a lot of weaknesses, but I think the secondary was probably the biggest weakness. So I think that Henderson and Sidney Jones have both been a pleasant, a pleasant surprise for sure.
0: I was going to say Jones, especially, because I mean, he was on their practice squad to start the year and the, the Eagles who have a, not a good secondary uh, waived him and discarded him before his rookie contract was even all the way up. So I think he's been a huge surprise. Um, obviously the touchdown to Valdez Gantling, he just beat him over the top in cover three. You don't, don't want to see that 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 really can't happen but the interception he had later in the game and then I thought his pass breakup on Devontae Adams in the first half I'm not sure I've seen a cornerback break up a pass on Devontae Adams like that before because normally once he gets the ball in his hands he's as sure-handed as there is you know him and DeAndre Hopkins so that was an impressive play to me and then I'd agree with you on CJ I thought Sunday would you say Sunday was his second best game of the season because I know he allowed a touchdown but I'm not even sure how much I'm going to fault him for that touchdown because, I mean, Devontae Adams, man, he, he's going to win. So, I know yeah, people don't want to hear that, but it's going to happen. So, would you say it was one of his better games? I thought it was his second-best game this
1: year. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Behind the Colts, you'd say? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, th- I think that's definitely fair. And, yeah. I mean, the fumble – I mean, the people always kind of get on him for, like, not wanting to tackle and not wanting to be involved. But he led up that slant to Devontae Adams and then chased him down for the fumble. That was super impressive. And he definitely had a handful of plays. And so, I think the fact that, I mean, obviously, Tay Adams had that pretty sick touchdown. But other than that, like, he looks pretty normal or pretty mortal. So, I think that was almost a win in itself. Yeah, no, I, I,
0: I thought up until that touchdown that Henderson had Devontae Adams pretty frustrated, actually. I thought you could see on that one deep attempt where Henderson pinned him to the sideline. And I I thought you could see a bit of that from Adams. And for me, I kind of learned a little bit about Henderson this game. I I already knew Henderson, uh, you know, he's athletic enough to get his hands on the football, basically at any situation. And I knew he had flashes of physicality, but he was kind of bullying receivers, uh, you know, whether, you know, normally after the catch, uh, he caused – one uh, pass breakup on Devontae Adams. but It was, I think, it was on a curl route by just colliding with him and knocking the ball out. Uh, he had that earlier tackle near the goal line and then the fumble. So I thought it was a really physical game from Henderson. And I think if he can match that physicality with his speed and just find some consistency when it comes to you know finding the ball in the air in big moments, I I think he can be a special player. And I I've gone on record saying I wasn't the biggest C.J. Henderson fan in the draft process, but what he has shown through nine games, and I know not everybody will agree with me, I think he has shown more nine games than I expected him to.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I was kind of iffy on him as a prospect, honestly. I wasn't really sure just because his 2018 season at Florida was remarkable. But then 2019, he's kind of hampered by injuries. So I didn't really know what to expect from him, honestly. But I definitely agree that he's exceeded expectations so far. It's funny, as as you said, it was kind of um, just funny seeing Tay Adams be frustrated. Like, it almost seemed like he wasn't used to having incomplete passes thrown in his way. Because, like you said, Herndon – or not Herndon, uh, Jones and Henderson both had really nice pass breakups on him. And he just seemed flustered, which was cool yeah. to see. Yeah, no, it, it
0: was. Because, like you said, he doesn't look mortal very often. That that was one that that was one of the few games I've walked away from watching Devontae Adams, like, not just being, like, dang that guy dominated and he still had big plays you know he had that touchdown and he had a touchdown that was a uh, called back due to billy turner once again getting bullied by josh allen and <laughs> drawing the flag yeah I, I, there, there needs to be some kind of statistic for reason for uh, being a flag uh, thrown because I think Josh Allen has almost at least, like, it has to be near double digit this season, dude. It's not going to show up in the sacks, but that dude has
1: strong penalties like crazy lately. <laughs> That'd be good. I think ESPN does this thing called, like, sack assists, where, like, basically, like, Tame and Bryan's uh, assist okay. Hamilton sacks. So maybe yeah. we should, you should know, e- the ESPN analytics crew and say, give us a penalty assist. Bryan <laughs> <All laughs> leads the league. I'm going to go ahead and trademark that.
0: We'll be the first in the game to get ahead of the curve. Uh, uh, yeah. Obviously, uh, this upcoming Sunday, Gus, um, the Jaguars for the second week in a row had to face, you know, they they faced the NFC's top seed last week. Now they face the NFC's, I mean, now they face the AFC's top seed in the Pittsburgh Steelers. Second week in a row, they're facing a Hall of Fame, uh, a future Hall of Fame quarterback. They always play the Steelers close. Um, I'll have a story on Jaguar Report about that. Uh, I, I think Jaguars are 14 and 12 against them in their history. Uh, a lot of the games have come down to, Six points or less or fewer. Do you think there's any chance at all that this game is close? I I, I know people want to say you know the Jaguars always play them close, but every year is different. Do you think at all that this one's a close one, like maybe like last week was, or do you think the Steelers just counts them? Um,
1: I think this game will be closer than people expect it to be. I I wouldn't advise people to take the Jaguars plus ten, <laughs> but if I had to choose a side, then I probably would take Jacksonville plus ten only because I think the Steelers are a little bit overrated. Um, Their defense is awesome, obviously, and their front seven is just um, a mergers row, basically, and they're getting pressure at a ridiculous rate. But I think that the offense has been a little bit underwhelming, honestly, and they're kind of winning based on their defense, which I don't think is super sustainable for necessarily like an undefeated season or anything like that. Like, I think Big Ben. Big Ben is in the, the conversation for MVP, which I think is basically just because of team record and because like of touchdown interception ratio. He's been a pretty like average quarterback this season, and so I think if Jacksonville's somehow able to expose that and like maybe just put put a little bit of not I was gonna say clamps, maybe not clamps on their offense, but slow down their offense a little bit. I was going to say, if, if they can have a game maybe
0: like Sunday where, you know, they give up explosive plays, but they also force the turnovers. Because, I mean, even on Sunday, they there's an argument you can make that without James Robinson getting two touchdowns called back, they probably win, you know, they probably win that game. So, uh, w- would you say if they can have a game similar to last week where they force some turnovers while allowing big plays that they'd have a chance?
1: hundred percent. Yeah, I think – I was going to say, I think explosive plays is probably going to be the key to the game, only because even though Big Ben has been – pretty average a season, their receivers are pretty amazing. They've got uh, Claypool and Deontay Johnson Juju Smith-Schuster, Chase Claypool, I mean, which is a pretty awesome trio. And then they also have James Washington, who doesn't even start. And so I think it'll be pretty tough to limit those three or four guys to just a small number of explosive plays. But if they can, they'll definitely give them a better chance to win. And the Steelers are allowing like the lowest success rate in the league to opposing offenses. And so I don't, I don't think we're going to get consistent production, production from the offense. I mean, but maybe if um, Chark or Keelan Cole or Chris Conley can rip off a big gain or two, then that could be the difference in the game.
0: No, no, I, I I'd agree with that. My, my next question for you actually was going to be: Is there any area of this game that the Jaguars have an advantage in? Because I, I think they clearly, you know, when it comes to who is the better quarterback? I agree with you on Ben. I think he's mostly getting MVP consideration because of the record. I think he's been I think he's been solid, but I don't think he's been as good as the numbers suggest. Yeah. They obviously have the QB advantage though. Is there any area that the Jaguars can exploit? I think it, it, it's going to be like sound like like I'm beating an old drum, but I think they can take advantage of the rushing game if they can contain Pittsburgh's uh, blitz packages. I think James Robinson could have a good game because it's not like the Steelers, for as good as the defense is, have been good against the run this year.
1: Right. I'm honestly more excited or more confident about the run game on the other side of the ball just because I do think James Robinson could have more success than people may expect against the Steelers' front seven and defensive line. But I also like the Jaguars actually have kind of focused on stopping the run in a few games this season. Um, like they limited Derrick Henry to less than 100 games in their game against Tennessee in week two. And so there's there's definitely some games where you can tell that their emphasis is against stopping the run. And so as a result of that, they actually have like a top-ranked run defense in almost every efficiency metric, while the Steelers rank in the bottom half of the league in most run efficiency metrics. So it sounds very dangerous, and this could easily backfire on me. But I think if the Jaguars kind of like stop James Conner and kind of force Big Ben to win the game and throw deep, then like that might be the blueprint to be
0: honest. Hey y'all hit it here first on Jaguar report. Gus Logue says bet your mortgage on the Jaguars. He says push it uh, any of your kids college funds. Gus is saying lock it in bet the mortgage. I'm I'm with you guys. I'm just saying (laughs) yeah no I know I
1: know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah no no. We kind of worked. I I was like the weather has to be an impact win the turnover battle. We got the turn touchdown there was things that went right last week and the same thing kind of has to happen again this week against the undefeated Steelers
0: um I'm with you I don't I don't think this game will be won or lost by more than 10 points I think this will be a one to two possession game that's not I'm not basing that on any of the Jaguars Steelers history because I think the only time that stuff is relevant is when it's like intra-division when it's like the Jaguars last played them in 2008. Like, I'm not going to count their 2017 success against them because Doug Marone, Miles Jack, and, like, the stadium vendors are, like, the only people left, you know, from them. So, but I do think it'll be a closer game because I think I think the Jaguars are going to come out with a lot of energy. And, you know, two different things can happen to a team when they're in a losing streak like the Jaguars, you know, eight games they either fold and they just say, okay, season's over. We're not going to win. And we've seen that happen with Jaguars teams in the past. I mean, I feel like that happened in 2018. Once they got an a losing streak, they just kind of said, all right, well we suck this year. Or they can kind of galvanize and come out with more energy each week because of how badly, you know, they're trying to win. And I think we've seen the Jaguars team do the latter in the last couple of weeks. And I, It it sounds like a cliche. I know it is. I try to, you know, be as forward-thinking of football as possible. But I think it's very true in all sports, but especially football, that if, you know, you play hard for four quarters, good things will eventually happen one way or another, you know, whether it's you'll find your way to a turnover or you'll force any other mistake. So I'm with you. I I think the game's going to be a little bit closer than people think, uh, in part because of how the Jaguars have been playing and in part because I'm with you. I don't think the Steelers' offense is as impressive. Okay. With that said, I, I give me your score prediction for Steelers because then I'll get into my next question. But give me your score prediction for this Sunday. I'll give you mine first. Okay. So Steelers thirty-one, Jaguars twenty-three.
1: <laughs> Just covering the spread. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> that that wasn't on purpose, but hey, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> Just getting under that number. All right, I'll do. Oh man, I think this game is going to be really scrappy. I wish it was just another bad weather game just yeah. cuz I'd love to see like it be less than 10 points or something like that. But I'll say Steelers 24, Jaguars 17.
0: Okay, I like it. I like it. Uh, I I I think even as okay as Big Ben has been this year, I don't I don't think the Jaguars are going to be able to stop them from scoring much just cuz how explosive they are, but I can see it. Want to make your own podcast? Spotify has got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then lets you distribute it everywhere and anywhere, and even earn money right from it. And it's all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here is how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, no matter where you're at, you can start creating today. All right, Gus, to close us out, uh, two more questions/ slash segments. One is, other than quarterback, what would you say is the biggest position that Jaguars need to upgrade in 2021 to help them find wins next season? Um, I'll go ahead and give you mine. I think obviously, I think tight in terms of talent, tight end probably has the least amount of talent, but I don't think uh, any team should go into the offseason saying, "Hey, we're a tight end away from you know, winning football games. Like, I, I just think that's ludicrous. So, I, as valuable as a tight end would be, I'd say the biggest need would probably be another pass rusher on the defensive line, whether it's a defensive end or a three-technique defensive tackle. You know, for us, as, as disruptive as statement is at times, I just think they need a defensive tackle who can get pressure on the quarterback. And as much as he helps other guys, you know, as much as he can eat blocks – he just does not get to the quarterback, and I think they need that badly. Whether it's from defensive tackle or from the edge, I think they need another pass rusher more than anything else, but quarterback.
1: Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. That was going to be my take too. I think, I think Taven does kind of need to be replaced, but I also think that an edge rusher would probably be more viable and a bigger need. And so it'll be interesting to see like if Jacksonville really addresses that problem because they do have a potential solution in Chase on, and even though he hasn't really looked at the part yet, like. We keep saying this, maybe we'll keep just keep saying this for the next three years. But he needs time, he needs time, and so yeah, we'll see how much time he really needs. But I, I definitely agree that another edge rusher just to get consistent pressure across from Josh Allen is definitely needed. Yeah. I think the secondary has played a little bit better than people may think, especially in the past month.
0: The first, I was month, gonna say, yeah, last few games,
1: first month or the first even two months was pretty rough, but lately the secondary has actually been pretty solid, and so but the lack of a pass rusher other than from Josh Allen has really just not helped out at all. And so behind and, edge rusher though, go ahead.
0: And I, I think getting an edge rusher to go along with Allen and Chason isn't even like an indictment of Chason or even a bad thing. I think it's just good team building. If, if, you know, you have hopes for this guy to be good, but you're not sure yet if he is, I think it'd be negligence to not have some insurance because worst case scenario, Chason doesn't work out and you have, a backup plan across from Allen. Best case scenario, uh, he works out, and you potentially have three good edge rushers. I mean, wh- what team is complaining about that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like especially the team with the least amount of sacks right now. So I- yeah. I'd agree. I'd agree with you.
1: That's definitely fair, but it's also kind of ironic because that's kind of what Taven Bryan was. He was drafted to eventually replace Malik Jackson and yeah. yeah. Darius, and like for cat reasons instead of just for lack of talent reasons, but. It is kind of funny. But I don't think great. There's, great. It's not a bad thing having three good edge rushers. But past yeah. the edge, I'd probably say offensive tackle and tight end would be the biggest yeah. quarterback. I, I'd agree with you. I think
0: – cornerback's weird because I know that their cornerbacks have been kind of toasted throughout the season. But I like Sidney Jones and I like C.J. Henderson. I really do. Maybe some – I guess some cornerback depth, but I'm not sure they need an instant starter to replace them. Uh, strong safety, I want to see more from Daniel Thomas for the rest of the year because I'm going to assume he's going to start the rest of the year uh, before I say that they need a strong safety badly. Uh, when Josh Jones was on the field, they badly <laughs> needed a strong safety, but give Daniel Thomas the rest of the year. And then I'd agree with you. Um, I, I thought Jawan Taylor was the best rookie lineman in the league last season, and then this season I, I can't really – Explain, you know, the kind of issues he's had. The penalties are way down. I mean, if you're going to take any solace from anything, the penalties are way down, but the consistency uh, hasn't been there. So I'd agree with you. And then tight end, uh, yeah, obviously we both agree on that. Uh, somebody had a good stat yesterday. Only two tight ends in the league, I think, have over 400 receiving yards right now. That position, I will go to my grave. The tight end position in the grand scheme of things is what people like to say running back is tight ends do not matter is my hill uh for, for every tight end that gets paid i will i will go to war on that tight there's like five tight George Kittle. there's like three tight ends in the league who i think matter there's like kittle kelsey and then oh man may, maybe darren waller sometimes i i don't think zach hurts matters at all i don't think zach Ertz <laughs> is any I, I thought tj hawkinson for as solid as he is is one of the worst top ten picks I've ever seen in my life. So, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm staunch about tight ends, man. Tight ends. Uh, I, I spent that entire offseason battling length TJ Hawkinson takes.
1: <laughs> yeah, the thing about tight ends is, like, well, for the whole running backs don't matter thing, the thing about that is that there's a lot of good running backs in the league. And that's and you what can the replace them. Is. They're easily replaceable. So, like, Dalvin Cook is so good. But once he gets injured and Alexander Madison comes in, Madison is also a very good running back. So that production doesn't really drop off very much, but then with tight ends, there's not very many good tight ends in the league. As you said, there's like maybe three really good tight ends, and so that's kind of where it's different. But yeah, it's weird. I almost don't even see like tight ends a weakness anymore for the Jaguars, just because they've been weak at tight end for so so long. It's like it, almost getting used to it. It's a weakness for every team, <laughs> you know. Yeah, like
0: it's like I, there's like a handful of teams that it's not it's not a weakness for, it. and uh, I I. I I agree with you. I probably wasn't a good analogy. I know it wasn't a good analogy at all, but it was just my way to get off a hot take that <laughs> don't take a tight end within the first 10 picks or so. I think Kyle Pitts might be a little different because I think he has more like I would have taken Noah Fant. If I was going to pick a tight end in the top 10 in 2019, I would've took Noah Fant over than Hawkinson just because I think if you're going to invest in a tight end, he has to be a game-changing pass-catching option. Like obviously you want your tight end to be able to block, but I think you can find uh, backup tight ends who can, you know, fulfill that role. If you're drafting a tight end high, I think he has to, you know, be a guy who can change the game as a pass catcher. So, I think Pitts falls into that category.
1: Yeah. I know. That's a good take. I like that. Yeah. for no, like, the, the Nick Boyle or something like that. Yeah,
0: ex- exactly. Like, I think like for – I'm actually not going to even uh, expound on the take. I just had my mind. <laughs> I thought about it for a second. Yeah, no, I thought about it for a second, but I'll just I'll just keep that up there. It's probably for the best. Um, Gus, real quick before we go, do you have any hot takes uh, for Sunday's game? I'll go ahead and give you mine, but I would like to remind you that the last time the Jaguars played a member of the Watt family, you predicted he would come close to setting the NFL record in sacks. I'll yeah. give you a chance to think about it if you're gonna go for that again. My prediction will be that uh my hot take. My hot take. My hot take is going to be that Joe Schobert plays lights out and helps the Jaguars contain the Steelers to under fifty yards rushing.
1: Ooh.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I I Schobert's tra- historically has always had good games against the Steelers and I just feel like this is the kind of game where the Steelers run game has been struggling, that this is the kind of game he can kind of show up in.
1: Right. All right, well, I guess I'll continue with my Watt theme. The, the first take was pretty volcanic, so I don't, I don't know if I can go back to that one. <laughs> but I did a Twitter poll, and I said the T.J. Watt and the Jaguars each have nine sacks this season. So I asked who's going to get more sacks, and 86% of Twitter says T.J. Watt. So that, that'll be my take, I, even though it doesn't seem that high, is that T.J. Watt beats the Jaguars in terms of total number of sacks, but I also want to drop a stat real quick, because this is pretty in- incredible. Uh, um, here it is. Kane Robinson and Jawan Taylor have allowed the second most sacks and pressures of any offensive tackle duo this season, and T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree have collected the most sacks and pressures of any D-line duo this season, and Watt basically lines up on the left side of the defensive line on ninety-seven percent of his snaps, so he'll be facing Jawan Taylor for most of the game. And Taylor's allowed the second most pressures and sacks of any offensive lineman, and Watt's gotten the third most no sacks and pressures of any defensive lineman. So it's going to be a long day on the right side of the D line. But this is the best part. I'm sorry. So Jake Lutton has been pressured on twenty-seven of his seventy-nine dropbacks, and he has, when he's under pressure, according to Pro Football Focus, he has a zero point eight pass rating. I'm I'm gonna go on a limb. so that's not good. <laughs> like you have the, To be fair, it's a t- small sample size. And yeah. So I would definitely expect it to not be zero point eight when he has ten times more dropbacks than that. But a zero point pass rating in any context is just amazing to me. Do, do they have both of his interceptions coming against pressure? Because I know at least one. I know at least the first one was. Yeah, they have two two interceptions, two throwaways, and five sacks under pressure okay. for him.
0: Well, let's go ahead and count like an interceptions worth of negative quarterback points to Tyler Eifert,
1: Just 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 to
0: be fair. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, no. I'm I'm with you, Yeah. No, I'm I'm with it. He's he's definitely and that's the thing he I feel like he's uh, until the last like quarter against Green Bay. I feel like he's composed against pressure. He just isn't, you know, making the throws.
1: Yeah, I agree. Like like I said, he like his uh, pocket presence is honestly like impressive to me for a six-round rookie quarterback, but he just kind of can't complete the throws under pressure. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, long story short, T.J. Watt versus John Taylor is going to be a very long day.
0: Well, um, You heard it here first, folks. Gus Logue's hot take is that T.J. Watt will play well. Yeah, you, you, won't get, you won't get that kind of analysis anywhere else. I'm, I'm just messing. All right, well, uh, Gus, that, that was all I had for today. Do uh, you have anything else to say before we sign off? Uh,
1: yeah, my last thing is that I think Logan Cook des- deserves your Pro Bowl vote because we talked about how Cl- Chris Claybrooks was doing really well on punt coverage against the Texans, and he had two punts down within the five-yard line. Claybrooks had another two down within the five-yard line against the Packers. And so Claybrooks has definitely done a great job. But we also should give praise to Cook because he's been a monster. I, I'll take it a step further.
0: I think he should get all-pro Uh I, I I looked yesterday. He has the he's tied for the third highest percentage of punts down within the ten-yard line, and most the, I think everybody in front of him is in the NFC. So I I I I know it's you know probably not a big consolation prize for a one-and-eight season, but. The Jaguars have one of the better punters in the league, so, you know, you can go ahead and take that. Uh, he, he He's developed a lot over the last two seasons. I thought, con- considering the conditions in Green Bay, I think this is going to sound like the nerdiest football thing ever. I think that was one of the better performances from a punter uh, this season, just considering the insane win conditions. And, you know, he had four punts down within their 11-yard line because, you know, he won't get one punt marked for the 10-yard line because it came at the 11, but. I am gonna say screw it and give him
1: give him credit for that. Yeah, and he had a touchback that like barely went out of bounds in the end zone. And Brandon no- Brandon Watson should have got that down. The yeah. Line. There was a gunner there that should have gotten it. So we can we'll give him five, we'll round up.
0: Yeah. No, so yeah, I'm I'm with you. And then uh I post he posted a picture to Instagram. Um I I've lived in Florida my whole life, so I've i fished and hunted my whole life. Uh there's a thing hunters use, it's like uh you like squeeze it and it puts out like a powder in the air so you can see like the direction and the strength of the wind. And he posted a picture of him testing it at Lambo. <laughs> I, I was just dying at the thought of him taking hunting equipment onto the field. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, everybody, thank you guys again for listening as always. And we'll be back next week. And uh, don't forget to go ahead and bet your mortgage on the Jaguars winning and on TJ Watt having a big game. Gus is shaking his head at me. Uh, please do not do that. Uh, do not bet anything on anything the host of Jaguar Report say. Uh, but you can follow us at Jaguar Report. Um, You can follow me at underscore John underscore Shipley. And Gus, go ahead and give me your handle. Yeah, I'm at Gus underscore Logue, but I like that rule of thumb. Don't listen to us, but follow us. (laughs)